Well, a very good morning, friends, and welcome to Radio Pulpit, and welcome to Let's Talk. I'm Rocky Stevenson, pastor of Benoni Bible Church, and what an absolute joy it is to be with you once again this morning as we unpack the Pelagial Controversy, and we get right into that today here on Memorable Monday. We're going to be looking once more at church history and the Pelagial Controversy that unfolded in the 4th and the 5th centuries. So join me as we delve then into the theological depths surrounding the nature of original sin and grace with key figures like Pelagius and Augustine shaping the very foundations of our faith. The historical context is where we will begin and let's set the stage by understanding the perspectives of Pelagius as well as Augustine during this pivotal controversy. Pelagius and his views, let's look at him first. And our journey begins with Pelagius, a British monk whose teachings stirred significant theological debates during the Pelagial controversy in the 4th and the 5th centuries. Pelagius (coughs) contested the prevailing understanding of the fallen nature of humanity and the need for absolute reliance on divine grace for salvation. Now, he he really started to, to say, do we really have this fallen nature that really needs the absolute reliance on the divine grace of for salvation? Or is it that we actually just are a little bit broken? So Pelagius drew insights from passages like Genesis 2, verse 16 to 17, where God instructs Adam regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Pelagius argued that this passage highlights humanity's ability to choose good without inherent depravity. Now, of course, when you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you have to realize that man has not yet fallen, and man has been given this opportunity before God. Will you choose to sin or not sin? But Pelagius would go back to this and say, you see, man has the ability to choose to do good. And he would emphasize the moral freedom granted by God. Now, I do think that sometimes the argument against can also go too far, but Pelagius went too far with regard to man's freedom towards choosing good because man had chosen to do evil. And Pelagius then offered and and really referenced passages like Ezekiel 18 verse 20, which underscores personal responsibility for one's actions. And indeed, you must take responsibility for your actions. And his interpretation leaned towards the idea that individuals, by their own moral choices, could lead a righteous life apart from the overpowering influence of original sin. (coughs) Historically, Pelagial's teachings gained traction, and especially in Roman North Africa. However, they found staunch opposition, particularly from figures like Augustine of Hippo, Now, what you need to realize is that he had this idea that you could, by your own moral choices, live a righteous life, apart from that overarching influence of original sin, and also emphasizing the moral freedom granted by God to man. But there was also this contestation against the idea that we needed this absolute reliance on divine grace for salvation. So these are the areas where he really was going after. Then Augustine's response to this 
in response to Pelagius, Augustine, who was the Bishop of Hippo, and we've studied him before in Memorable Monday, emerged as this real hero defender of the Orthodox Christian understanding of sin and grace. Augustine's theological response was deeply rooted in the scriptures, and his arguments played a pivotal role in shaping Christian doctrine for centuries to come. The difficulty is that much of Augustine's reasoning also was affected by that of the Stoics and the Greek philosophers. (coughs) And so Augustine turned to passages like Genesis 3, where the narrative of the fall unfolds, trying to really play against some of what Pelagial went to Genesis 2, and where the narrative then of the fall unfolds, and he delved into the foundational text, and Augustine highlights the consequences then of Adam and Eve's disobedience, illustrating the inherent sin nature passed down through the generations. Furthermore, Augustine drew on Psalm 51, which was penned by David after his repentance, as a testament to the universality of human sinfulness. And the psalm became really a cornerstone in Augustine's articulation of the desperate need for divine grace to cleanse and redeem humanity. The Apostle Paul's writings, particularly in Romans 5, became the stronghold in Augustine's argumentation. In Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, (coughs) excuse me, I'm still getting over a little bit of a fluiness, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And that served as a scriptural anchor for Augustine's assertion of the pervasive impact of Adam's sin to all humanity. We are all born as sinners because of Adam's sin. Now, Pelagial actually says you're not born a sinner. You actually just become a sinner when you choose to sin. But you could also then choose to be good. And so Pelagial went way too far, saying you're not a sinner. You don't need the overarching grace of God. You were born righteous. And you can choose one day whether you will sin or not sin. And you can choose whether you will be righteous. (coughs) Historically, Augustine's teachings gained widespread acceptance, and the Council of Carthage, which we've also studied in 418, and then in Ephesus 431, (coughs) affirmed his theological stance against Pelagialism. And Augustine's emphasis on the indispensable need of divine grace became integral in the theological framework of the Western Church. But let's look at the Bible, and let's think about this in this regard. It's good for us to go back and to think about what have we seen within the scriptures. And as we turn our attention to the biblical foundations that underpin this Pelagial controversy, Augustine's uh, counterattack on it, I want to try and see where, where have we gone possibly too far. Now let's look at original sin. Our exploration of original sin does take us back to Genesis 3 and the fall of humanity as it unfolds. Augustine's right to go to passages like Psalm 51 and Romans 5 to further underscore our inherent sinful nature, highlighting that desperate need for redemption. However, the navigation and navigating the theological terrain of this, it's essential to reflect on the debate that was sparked by figures like Pelagial and Augustine. While Augustine's emphasis 
on the pervasive impact of original sin on humanity is profound, and indeed we must say mostly biblical in many respects, I think that some have rightly questioned whether we have veered too far into his argumentation. For example, does the doctrine as we have it today of total depravity neglect the fact that man was made in the image of God and is a moral creature? Is man so totally depraved that he is dead in his sins and trespasses and therefore is actually not guilty of his sin while he is in his dead state? Does it potentially overshadow the responsibility that man has in re responding to the free offer of salvation of Christ? Does it somehow mediate some of the the consequences of that sinful behavior? Could you just look at a man and say, well, he's totally depraved, so therefore the wickedness that he's done is not, re he's not really guilty of that because of his sinful fallen nature. He was born that way. He carried on to sin that way. Does this neglect or go too far regarding the fact that man has been made in the image of God? You know, the desire also expressed in passages like 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, where it says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, also adds another layer to this discussion. If man is truly totally depraved in the sense of Augustine's explanation and many others that have built upon Augustine, how can he be held responsible for his sins? While salvation comes solely through the grace of God, and we see that within the scriptures, this is attributed fully to God and he gets all of the glory. Is it possible that in this historical debate between Pelagialism and Augustinianism, both sides have gone to certain extremes? Perhaps at its core, the biblical answer lies in the mystery that God is sovereign and man is responsible under the sovereignty of God. So let's look at grace. The concept of grace even is, saturates the Bible. In Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9 or Titus 2 verse 11 and John 1 verse 14 where it illuminates the divine favor bestowed upon us. And these passages resonate with Augustine's insistence on the necessity of divine grace for salvation. But I, but and, and those passages are, are absolutely glorious, and Augustine's usage of those passages absolutely brilliant. However, as we contemplate just the richness of God's grace, we also recognize the importance of acknowledging the responsibility that comes with it. When God has given this grace to us, man is responsible to respond to the grace of God. And the mystery of God's omniscience just adds depth to this reflection. That's where the real mystery is. How absolutely glorious is God's omniscience in regard to salvation? And it prevents us from actually pointing fingers at God or attributing our circumstances solely to his choosing. You know, we can't just point at God and say, well, Lord, you made me this way. I was born a sinner and I continued in my total depravity and therefore I shake a fist at you because I'm burning in hell. See, it challenges us to recognize that God has indeed intervened in this fallen world through the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that stands as this profound testament of God's intervention, making a way where there seemed to be no way without him. And man is called to repent, to believe, to put their faith in Jesus Christ, to look to him and to live. And this is part of this divine mystery, the mystery of the omniscience of God. The fact that man in his sin 
is able, because of the fact that he has been made as a reasoning creature, as one that is in the image of God, he is able to respond to the God that made him. So some of the theological implications of this, and as we delve into the theological implications that are that stem from the Pelagial controversy, we must recognize the, the profound impact that it had on our understanding of some key doctrines. But we need to go back to the Scriptures. And this is the point that we must always come back to. Go to the Scriptures. On human depravity, the controversy profoundly shaped our understanding on human depravity. And we looked at that. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility. This tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility resonates through the pages of the Scriptures. Romans 9 takes us to the heart of that tension, exploring God's sovereign choice and human response. Similarly, Philippians 2 verse 12 to 13 calls on us to make, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing that it is God who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. So these are marvelous thoughts for us to go and think through. But the big challenge for us is go back to the Scriptures and let the Scriptures always direct you to the worship of our great God. I'm looking forward to being with you tomorrow on Theology Tuesday. May the Lord bless you. Amen.